welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Uh, so I'm excited today. We're, we're going to start a two-week series called Living Your Best Life. Now, I'm not on social media, and, and if you've followed me on social media, I apologize for the boring presence that I am in the social media world. I posted a few weeks ago when Lauren preached. That was the first time I had posted something since 2016. Uh, and then I posted in 2016 on one of my son's birthdays and not the other, right? So this is where I go, I'm really not good at this. I should probably not uh, do social media very much. But I found that in, in the world today, a lot of millennials, which I technically qualify as, I just like to think of myself as not, right? But I, I am, let's be real. Uh, that uh, living your best life is like a thing right now, right? Like, everybody's like, oh, I'm living my best life. And typically, it involves, like, sitting on a beach on vacation, right? And you're like, oh, living my best life. Okay, so here we are. We want to talk about, for the next two weeks, living your best life. Friday night, we had a cold front come through. How many of y'all are aware that it got colder? And the wind yesterday was insane. And so in Old Lake Highlands, where we live right now, it's like our bolt trash time, which is the worst time for the heavy winds and everything. Because I was looking, driving through our neighborhood and noticing that everybody's got their bolt trash out. And as the wind is coming through, it is just blowing it down the streets. And it's like, well, this looks pretty rough around here right now. So we need the wind to stop. But this cold front came through. Now, our room in our house is typically the coldest room in our house, where, where, where we call our residence, right? And so we go into our room and you feel like a noticeable change in temperature, which means at night it is cold in our bedroom, which I prefer. So it works out really well for me. Lauren has this incredible uh, ability to just layer up and layer up with blankets on top of blankets on top. She would go like, like 12 weighted blankets deep and be perfectly content. I can't handle that. So if I feel like there's even a different levels of pressure from different blankets, like, like if my feet feel like they have more weight on them than the rest of my body, it drives me crazy. I know this is such a weird thing, but, but just follow me for a moment. I promise there's a point, uh, is that th- th- there, is, there is a purpose behind me telling this to you. But, but I can't handle a lot of weight on me when I go to sleep because I feel restricted and I'm like, Bleh! and at some point I'm like, I need freedom, right? I need to break out of this thing. And so, so Lauren can just be over there content under all of these blankets and just like, oh, this is so good. She can sleep. I couldn't do it. I, I get like claustrophobic and I'm like, I got it. I can't do this. I need to just so I'm throwing stuff off, right? Because if I feel restricted, it absolutely bothers me. So there was a time when I was going to, I went to Tanzania, Africa in 2013. I was, I was gone for two weeks. Lauren claims it was like the worst two weeks of her life or whatever, because it was terrible. No, it really wasn't. It was wonderful. It was a great trip. But I, I was, I had to get there, uh, I had to take a direct flight to start from Dallas to Dubai. And now that is a long flight. It's 14 and a half hours. And, and when you're not wealthy and you can't sit in first class or business class, 14 and a half hours in economy is a beating. And I found that to be true. So after about 10 hours is when it started to really set in where I was feeling so restricted and feeling like I've got to get off of this plane. This is absolutely crazy. And I've never really thought of myself as somebody who's claustrophobic. But after 11, 12, 13 hours, you are miserable on an airplane. There's only so much you can do. And then to make matters worse than that, on that trip, the guy next to me spilt his wine all over me. So then I just reek of alcohol, like just that awful, just sitting there. And I'm just like, oh. So I had to deal with that for the rest of the trip. It was great. It was really a lot of fun. So 
Anyways, but it was just the, the time of being in the cabin for 14 hours, right? It's just a brutal experience. When you first get on the plane, though, typically you're excited. When you first get on the plane, typically you're like, this is going to be great. I can't wait to get there. And then you're about halfway through and you're going, I cannot wait to get there. And that's kind of the shift that I felt is that all of a sudden now I feel restricted. I feel, I feel completely closed in and I can't move. I can't go anywhere and I am dying to get off the plane. And I think it was even worse coming back because now I'm ready to be home and I have to endure this, this 15 hour trip. But I found myself completely restricted and having no freedom, no ability to move. And when you're in the middle seat in a huge airplane and you're like, I need to use the restroom but that means I have to wake up 17 people on either side of me to get there. And so you just find yourself stuck with no freedom and no mobility, and you can't get off the plane. You have to go with where it's going. And sometimes in our own lives, we do that to ourselves. Here's what I mean. Sometimes sin begins to take a grip. That's a great sound. It's a nice hum. That's good. Sin begins to grip us and restrict us. And we feel as if there's no escape and we're bound by it and we can't find the freedom we're looking for. It's like walking around in chains. It's like, it's like walking around handcuffed and you're going, I, I want to be free of this, but I'm restricted by it. I'm bound by this. I can't get out of this. And I think there's some interesting things that we can find in, in, in Luke chapter 4. And so the words of Jesus, this is Jesus, and, and here he is in his hometown, and he gets up, it's, it's the Sabbath, and he goes to the synagogue, and we'll read in, in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21 is the text we're going to be in today as we walk through some of the words of Jesus, which if there's ever words to walk by, I think Jesus, I think that qualifies as good words to live by. And what he's actually doing here, and we'll read this, is that he's going to be reading from the prophet Isaiah. And so here we are in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Which, time out, going to church. It was Jesus' custom. It should be ours as well. Okay. You're here today, so it's kind of like preaching to the choir. You're like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We We go to church, right? Okay. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and he says this in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. So now he's read this and everybody's just staring at him like, why did you just read that? What is going on here? It's this moment. And Jesus says this. He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came to give you freedom, not condemnation. Jesus came to give you freedom, not condemnation. Let's pray. Father, we love you. 
And we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for your word, that it is alive and that it is, it is able to teach us and to correct us and to bring us into alignment, Lord, and that today we can take your word, we can apply your word, and we can live according to it. And we thank you for it. We give you glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's jump into this. So Jesus came to give us freedom and not condemnation. How many times in our own lives have we shied away from the issues that we carry and the struggles that we have only? to be restricted by them because our shame and our guilt gets in the way. So we're not willing to, to open up and say, I, I, have a, I, I struggle with this. I have a sin that I'm dealing with. And this isn't to say that, that, that the love of God is not for you because God has not stopped loving you in the least bit. This is just that you may have been a Christian for 25 years and you're like, listen, but I have this thing that I carry and that I certainly shy away from it. And so we get to the point in our lives and in every single day that it is a struggle just to feel like we have freedom because we are so restricted and so bound by a sin that so easily entangles us. And Jesus says, I came to bring freedom to the prisoner. I came to bring freedom to the oppressed. And now we have to understand that he's reading from Isaiah. You know, he was intentional in reading from Isaiah because in the Jewish world, the prophet Isaiah is very highly revered. So the scripture of Isaiah, the prophecies of Isaiah would be well-known, right? They wouldn't be this, this foreign concept or idea. It would have been something that those who were faithful in going to the synagogue would have heard the words of Isaiah several times before. It would have been not new news to them, but the idea and the concept that somebody is then stating that today, and you're hearing this, it has been fulfilled, is now a shift in a, in, in a, in a shattering, earth-shattering kind of moment, a, a pivotal switch. And this is Jesus basically stating in this moment, like, my ministry begins now, that this is the mark of salvation. We are now stepping out of the old covenant into the new covenant, right? It has not yet fully been fulfilled, because at this point, Jesus has not died on the cross. He has not rose from the dead, but he is saying that I am the embodiment of the Messiah. I am the one this prophecy is speaking of to come. I am now fulfilling that. Now, and as you continue to read so many times, Jesus would speak things that as we look at it, we go, well, we clearly understand it. But the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would guard and, and hide the, the, the revelation from the hearts of the people, right? And so he's saying these things and, and they're looking at him going, what in the world? As you continue to read, and we're not going to today, but as you continue to read in the moment, they're all like in shock and awe of like, wow, what has just happened? And then it says that they basically cast him out of Nazareth. And he says, you know, a prophet is not, is without honor in his own home, right? And so he's saying, I, I can't come here. If I would have done these things, you know, the same signs and wonders I'd done in Capernaum, you would have all just praised me and whatnot. And so what we find is that in this moment, they're all going, who is this man? Is he not, was, is he not the son of Joseph? the carpenter? Is that not who this is? And so here is Jesus stating, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's come to fulfill this prophecy. I'm the one who's come to give this. Now, the, the world that this is being spoken to in the Jewish world in the mindset, and we've spoken about this before, that in Isaiah, as we see the writing of Isaiah, the prophecy giving, this is underneath, this is during the time when they were exiled into the, the Babylonian rule, and Babylonia has taken control of them, and King Nebuchadnezzar is ruling over them in this whole time period, right? And that's the 
historical concept. So when the prophecy is given that there is somebody coming to bring freedom to the prisoner, this, this sounds almost like a governmental imprisonment, right? So that it's like I'm speaking out against the nation of Babylon, so therefore I'm thrown into prison. Right? There, there's somebody who's coming in to set them free because it's going to be this huge political overthrow and this mighty warrior that's going to come in and destroy the king of Babylon, right? And that's kind of the concept. Uh, it, or this, this oppression because they've come in and they've beaten us down and they've beaten us down and then it's going to be overthrown. And so they're waiting on this person. So fast forward. Now we have the Israel people under the rule of Rome. And we find a lot of similarities in, in the rule of Rome and Babylon in far, as far as the treatment of the Jews there in this time. And so again, they are looking for this Messiah to be this strong political leader who's going to be this mighty warrior who's going to come in and take over and destroy the, the world around them and shatter them. And, and they're going to prevail as the mighty nation of Israel because of the work of the Messiah who's going to come in and save them with the sword and beat down and take take over and government control and things of that nature. And Jesus, in a very subtle way, reads it and says, today, since you've heard this, it's been fulfilled and, and sits down. You know what I mean? This is not what they were expecting or what they were looking for. So what, we have to understand the understanding of where they're coming from before we can have a full understanding of what, what, what the word is speaking to us today. We have the privilege now of having the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit allows, he, he, is, he was the author, you know, he's breathed out the words of scripture and now he gives us the understanding. So the veil has been torn, right? It's been peeled back so now we can have understanding and we can see these things and we get to be on the other side of it and have the understanding of what the scripture is trying to say to us. The first thing is this, that we have to fully understand is that Jesus makes clear that there's freedom to the prisoner. Freedom to the prisoner. So to full, full understanding, right, we need to look at the Greek, which is what I love to do because it helps bring so much clarity in the modern, in the modern English and in, in our language. And the first thing is this, the word prisoner, or the word freedom, I'm sorry, is the Greek word ashesis. Ashesis, it's, it means to pardon or to release. So the word freedom that we find in this text is ashesis, and that means both times that it's used in the text, it means to pardon or release, Meaning that it is a word speaking to something that was once captive or bound or, or held in guilt. And now there is this freedom. There is this release that the freedom that comes is not to, to say like you can walk in, in as a free nation. It's not in that sense. It's not a, this is, it, it is a sense to say that you were once bound, you were once captive. And now I give you freedom. You are released. Then you are pardoned from what it was that was holding you in the first place. So you have this freedom. The second second word is prisoner. And you can probably read the word there. We're just going to not try. Uh, that word is the Greek word for prisoner on the screens there. For those of you who are listening right now on the podcast the next day, good luck. And here's what it means. It means captive, prisoner of war. Prisoner of war would be the the... the the reference in which the term is typically used in the Greek world, that it's that this, this captive, this prisoner, is referenced usually to somebody who has lost in battle. Somebody who has lost in battle. Now, we have to have this understanding of, of when Jesus uses um, the word for freedom throughout the book of Luke. 
Every time Jesus is found using this word for freedom in the book of Luke, it is always in reference to the forgiveness of sin. Which is intriguing and helps us to bring understanding into this moment. What was Jesus trying to say? What is Jesus revealing to us in this moment? He said, I have come to give you freedom and forgiveness for the sins that have held you captive. To the battle you have lost, right? You see, there's, there's some crazy debate in understanding the, the, uh, some of the historical context, and we've talked a little bit about it. And, and there's this, this odd debate that has to do with uh, Isaiah chapters 40 through 66, and the debate is, well, did Isaiah actually, is he actually the author of those books and, and things of that, or those chapters in the book? And, and I would say yes, I, just based on Dead Sea Scrolls and whatnot. And I can totally nerd out on this for a moment, and we're not going to, we're just going to keep moving. Uh, but... but so people wanted to kind of dispute the validity of those writings, and it was found with the rest of Isaiah and the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I would say this, these, these are valid words. And, and Isaiah is speaking to somebody who, without even his own understanding, I would imagine in the moment that, that he is speaking about a Messiah who is coming to show love for the individual and not speaking just to the nation as a whole any longer as the Israelites are and still are God's people, right? The, the Jewish world is God's people. You know, it, it is, it's very biblical in understanding that, but he's saying, listen, I want you to realize and understand that Jesus is saying, I want you to understand that I love you as a person, as an individual. I love the nation as a whole. I love the people as a whole, but I love you specifically and individually so that I can speak freedom into your life so that I can see you free from your sins, so I can see you free from your struggles, I can see you free from the, the, the issues that you walk in, the battle that you lose day after day after day after day, the, the, the time that you fall time after time after time, the thing that has you captive, I'm speaking freedom to those things. I am proclaiming freedom to the prisoner. Here's what he's saying. You no longer have to be bound or restricted by the sin that so easily entangles, the sin that so easily restricts. You now have freedom. You now have freedom. I have a friend that uh, a few years ago, was sentenced to five years in prison. And he's serving all five years. Um, he had two small children when he went in, and wife, and, and he's missing out on five very important years of his children's life because of decisions that he made that led to that moment. And here's what we found looking back after all of that, that it wasn't just that it just all of a sudden this great sin and thought just overtook him and he jumped straight from zero to a hundred in no time flat. That's what we found, right? That you trace it back to things that began when he was even in junior high and just ideas and thoughts and start building one on top of the other on top of the other. And instead of ever speaking that and jumping and running to the freedom of Jesus, he concealed it. He concealed it. And time and time again, concealing the thoughts and the sin and the struggle over and over and over and over until it led to the point to the day when he stood in front of a judge and he pled no contest and found himself sentenced to five years on three different accounts and going, there's nothing I can do. It's, it is what it is. Imprisoned, literally and spiritually imprisoned by the sin that he concealed. 
that he didn't step in and say, Jesus, I need your freedom. I need your freedom. And because of it, he finds himself even now still restricted and in chains. See, a lot of us, we, we are good with, with walking and in, in accepting forgiveness, and then we struggle with the freedom. We go, I'm okay with the forgiveness. I love the forgiveness. I want the forgiveness. I need the forgiveness, but, but, but I have a hard time making that step then into freedom. On that same day when we were in the courtroom, one of the, one of the people that were greatly affected by the decisions that he made, he stood up and he looked at them and he said with all sincerity in his eyes, I forgive you. I forgive you. And it was a tough moment to sit there and watch that because I knew people on both sides and my heart broke for both sides. And to watch him say, I forgive you. He accepted the forgiveness, but he didn't receive freedom. Just because the person said, I forgive you, didn't mean that he then had the right to just go and say, oh, and the judge just go, in that case, no, no, no. There was still being bound. And then we do that to ourselves spiritually time and time again where we go and we say, Father, forgive me. I keep doing this. I keep struggling with this. Forgive me. Help me. Forgive me. And then we don't step into the freedom that he is proclaiming to the prisoner. There is freedom for what binds you. There is freedom for the sin that that entangles you and that grips you and that holds you tight and that keeps you from being able to move forward. There is freedom. And until we are willing to accept not just the forgiveness, but to walk in that freedom, we're going to continue to find ourselves in this cycle that we just cannot break because we cannot break the chains on our own. We need Jesus. He is the one who gives freedom, who proclaims freedom. There's freedom in Jesus. The second thing is, is there is freedom to the oppressed. Freedom to the oppressed. These words to the, to the people of, of Israel coming from Isaiah would have been an encouragement, right? It would have been an encouraging thing like, oh, all of this, this, this weight that we have felt, all of this, 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 this oppression that we are under and that we feel by this rule of so that all of this is going to, there's going to be freedom from it. It's going to be that sense of finally being able to take a, a breath of fresh air. It's that moment when you've been underwater for so long, holding your breath and you are fighting to get back to the surface and you get out and it's just, and you can breathe again. It's coming. It's coming. And so as they hear the words of Isaiah, there's, there's got to be just this immense amount of encouragement in that time as they hear it. And they're like, oh, it's coming. So then Jesus comes and he speaks these words. There's freedom to the oppressed. And I, I feel like as if all of them in that moment hear that. And it's just a sense of, oh, I can breathe again. The weight is lifted. And they're thinking, when is it happening? When is it coming? He's saying, it's been fulfilled. And they're going, no, it hasn't. We're still under the control of Rome. Our, our, you know, this is a difficult world. All this is, the, the guards tell me to, to carry their armor and I have to carry it. Like there's just so much oppression in our, in our culture, in our world because of the Roman government over us and, and having to deal with it. And they're carrying that. And Jesus is saying, I have come to give freedom to the oppressed your freedom to the oppressed. It has to be a moment of encouragement, but they're going, but how? What are you going to do about it, Mr. You know, nonchalant? Go and sit back down and everybody's still looking at you. You know, it's that moment of, 
Who, who are you again? Aren't you Joseph's son? And he's saying, I've come to give freedom to the oppressed. So what is Jesus saying? I love when we get to do a cross-comparison word study, which means we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament because it's the same word translated into English and we get to compare. It's really great. A lot of times, and we're going to find this to be the case in this moment, when you do that and you study on both sides, you find that it means the same thing, essentially, and it's a really good translation of the word. So we find that with the word oppressed. When we look at it in the original writing in Isaiah... And also the writing found in, in, in Luke. And, and so going from the, the Hebrew to the Greek, we cross those words. And, 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 and oppressed is a great translation, but here's what it actually means. Uh, it means to break down, shatter, weaken, or break in pieces. Break down, shatter, weaken, or break in pieces. That is this Greek word. It's, this, it's like a... It's an understanding of more than just being weighted down. A lot of times when we feel oppression, it's just like almost similar to a sense of depression where we go, okay, I feel oppressed. So it's like something hovering over me, pushing on me. And this is so much more than that. He's saying this is actually a sense of brokenness. A sense of brokenness. He said, I'm going to bring freedom to the broken. Bring freedom to the shattered. Bring freedom to those who feel like they are in pieces. And they're going, how, how do I put it back together? How do I piece this all back together? And Jesus is saying, I have come to give you freedom. And today I speak these words and they're fulfilled. I speak these words and they're fulfilled. We have, in our world, in our lives, we all have things that we have struggled with and dealt with. And, and, and maybe we have said, okay, I, I found um, some reprieve. Or maybe I feel almost set free, but, but yet there's that continual weight and that thing that for some reason I'm just broken into pieces. For some reason I'm just left in shambles. And what happens is sin causes so many different things in our lives, but the reality is is that there is a true physical weight of sin. And it affects us physically, right? It'll, it'll mess with us mentally where we go, oh man, I just messed up. I did something bad and I shouldn't have done you know? But But it, it begins to weigh on us, right? When we begin to feel that weight, we begin to feel that weight and we go, I need release from this. I need freedom from this. Jesus is saying, I have that freedom for you. I have that freedom for you. The problem that happens is, is when we continue to go back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it, that ultimately this, this oppressive thing begins to break us down and become our destruction. There's an old tale, and whether it's true or not, I, I, can, I couldn't tell you that, but, but, but basically it's a story of how the Eskimos in this far north tribe in Alaska would kill wolves when they'd have issues with wolves and too many coming in and taking their, their livestock and things, what they would do is they would take a knife and they would take the blood of the animal that they kept coming to try to kill, whether it was livestock or sheep or goats, whatever it was, and they would dip it in that, in that blood and they would let it freeze. And then they would dip it again and let it freeze another layer and then dip it again and let it freeze another layer. And so this was layers deep in, in a thick coating of the blood of that animal frozen they would take that knife and they would go out to an open field where they knew the wolves would constantly walk through, where there would be traffic from the wolves back and forth. And they would set that knife with the blade up and then they would wait. 
And the scent of that blood would then some, at some point attract the wolf to come to it. And the wolf would begin to lick this frozen blade over and over and over. And, and the coldness of that frozen blade would begin to numb the tongue of the wolf. Begin to numb the tongue of the wolf. And as he would get deeper and deeper into it until he got to the point where he got to the blade and he would lick the blade and cut his tongue. And while his tongue was numb, he'd be unaware of the cut that he had just sustained. And he would continue to lick over and over, making the cut worse and worse and worse, making the wound deeper and deeper and deeper. And yet he continues to lick because he keeps tasting the blood on his numb tongue. And he would continue this and continue this and continue this and continue this until ultimately the wolf was no longer strong enough to stand. And he would begin the process of dying to the point where he would collapse. Now, whether or not that is true or not, the the, the idea of it, it, it speaks volumes to who we are as individuals and as people because so often we find that sin is fun, right? If it wasn't fun, there would not be a sin issue in the world, right? If it wasn't fun, there wouldn't be this, this, this thought or this drawing to it. Or if it wasn't easy, there wouldn't be this, this, this problem of, of going, you know what, I can, I can run right into that with no issues or whatever. But we find that we are easily enticed by the, the desires of our flesh. And we go, oh, man. And we find ourselves repeatedly running back to the knife and licking it over and over and over and over and over again as this oppressive brokenness begins to set in and we don't even realize it's this this oppression that is causing our own spiritual death. And Jesus is saying, I have come to give freedom to the oppressed. I have come to give freedom to the oppressed. And you say, Pastor Ryan, you know what? I'm broken. I'm in prison. I'm bound in chains. I have these, these things that, 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 that hold me back and they weigh me down and I feel broken into pieces and I cannot find freedom. And Jesus is saying, I've, I'm giving you freedom. I'm giving you freedom. I'm giving you freedom. And we have to be careful with the word freedom in the, word, in the church today because a lot of times there's this misunderstanding that grace is the freedom to sin. And the reality is that's, that's not the truth. Grace is the freedom to live outside of sin. And so Jesus gives us grace so that the freedom is a part, not that we are separated from, we can live separate from sin as we fully rely on the work of the Spirit in our lives. And here's what I've found. A lot of times when we go, man, I'm struggling in life now, I got all these different things going wrong and all of this stuff in the, in the Bible says, as Jesus said, this is going to be the year of the Lord's favor. And so the third thing today is this is freedom reveals favor. Freedom reveals favor. And now this isn't like, the word favor oftentimes gets misunderstood. This isn't to say uh, favor means blessing. This isn't, this isn't to say, you know, that if you step out of sin and you walk in freedom, the Lord's going to open abundance blessing. That's not what this means. That's not what this is. The word favor in this, in this instance means welcoming. It means welcoming. It means all of a sudden now when you step into the freedom of the Lord, you find yourself in abundance of relationship with the Father. 
and you go, now that this block is out of the way, I find myself welcomed into the presence of the Lord. And not that you've been shunned or pushed out. Jesus loves you, right? He, he, under, he, he wants to walk with you and he does give you grace, right? As we repent, but he's saying, no, no, no. It's more now than repent. Repent means to ask for forgiveness, to turn from, to walk away from. And he's saying, we are going to walk now in freedom. And as you do so, you're going to find yourself in the closeness of the relationship of the father. You're going to find yourself in this welcoming that you have never known before. And the abundance of the relationship is going to grow and it is going to be outrageous. It's going to be incredible and it's going to be wild. And you're going to be like, man, I have never known the fullness of joy that comes from being in relationship with the Father and finding what it is to walk in the Lord's favor. If you've got those things that you're battling and that you fight and that you've restricted and you've hidden, hear me, hear me, hear me. Be rid of your shame. Step into the humility of the Father and let him restore you. Let him release you from those things and once again be restored back to the favor of the Lord where you are in relationship with him in a new way where you find welcoming that you have not felt in a long time. There have been times in my life where I go, and, and, and I said, man, I just feel separated from God. I feel like I've hit a wall, I'm struggling. And, and then the realization of, well, okay, but there's that thing that you've suppressed that you try to hide, and you try to act as if it's not there. And there's this moment, there was a moment in my life in 2015 when God did a number on my heart and broke things off of me. And there was just this moment of, weeping in my bedroom and, and just this freedom that I had felt that I had not felt maybe ever. And it was an incredible moment when God began to pour into me and say, find my favor again. Find that welcoming that you've been missing. It was an incredible moment of, of, of one, of repentance, and in an incredible moment, too, of the, the re- restoration of the Spirit and just the outpouring and the hug and the love of the Father that, that, that I hadn't felt in ages. And at this time, I was in ministry at this time. I was, I was a pastor at another church at this time, and it was just an incredible moment where God began to deal with my heart and say, hey, 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 you're not perfect, There's room for growth. Freedom reveals favor. He says, come, feel my welcoming. Feel my acceptance in a new way. Be close to me. Be close to me. Invite the worship team. And I know today that this is kind of a a, a shorter message and you're going, man, it's only 1136. How in the world did we make it that fast? I'm kind of wondering the same thing myself right now. Just kidding. It's partially intentional, I will, I will say that. Because I believe in this. I, I believe that when we hear the word of God, that, that we need to have an opportunity to respond to the word of God. See, God wants us to hear the word and he wants us to be doers of the word, right? He, he says that, that for somebody who doesn't do the word of God, that they are hearers only, it's as if somebody looks into a mirror, walks away and immediately forgets what they look like, right? And he's going, that's foolishness. 
take the word, apply the word, live out the word, right? And so we said last week that grace still exists as a place to belong, to become like Christ, to be light to the world around us, all for the sake of changed lives. If we are doing all of the things that we do as a church simply so that our church can grow and we can receive recognition by others and pats on the back, then we have missed the mark. We have to give God the opportunity to change lives. We have to give God the opportunity to work and to move and to say, Father, I hear your word. I see my heart. I see my issues, I see where I am, and I need you now to do the work in my heart. I need you to move in my heart. Today, I'm gonna ask you to do something that that may be a huge step for you. And here's the deal. I want you to understand that this is not about a moment of of taking notes, writing down names, and pointing out people who have flaws and, and failures in their lives. Because if that were the case, every one of us need to stand up here and say, I have flaws and failures in my life. I am only who I am because of the grace of Jesus. Amen? And here's the deal. Even in that we are imperfect people, we are working to become more and more like Christ. We are working to become who God has called us to be. We are working to become the product of the Father, right? But but it's this process. Sanctification, I wish you could find the end result in an instant and in a moment, but we don't. And it requires the work of the Spirit, moving on our hearts, speaking to our hearts, saying, hey, 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 let's fix this, let's tweak this, let's change this. It's like Jesus is there with a hammer and a chisel, and he is just slowly shaping us to be who he has called us to be. And sometimes we have to have those moments when we stop and we say, okay, I need you to get out the hammer and the chisel right now. There are things in my life that I need broken off. There's things in my life that I need that I need to be shaped, to be fixed. And even if he gets you in the right shape, you still have to be polished. And then from time to time, you still have to be cleaned and refined. I remember the moment when Lauren and I were able to go to Florence, Italy, and we stood in front of the statue of David. And it's breathtaking. It's incredible. Masterpiece. The work of Michelangelo in front of me. And I see it. And then you hear the story that that it came from a piece of granite that was left over in the production of the the cathedral, the Duomo, and, and, and he was sitting out there and Michelangelo went to the priest and said, can I use that to create something? And he said, sure. It's just sitting there. And everybody's heard the story of, of saying, well, how do you know, how do you, how do you, chis- how do you create this? He says, I just take away anything that doesn't look like what I want it to be. And sometimes we need God to do that to us. Or God is going, hey, there's things that don't look like I need it to, that I've got to chisel away that I've got to knock off. And can I just tell you how great freedom is? As an American people, right, the concept of freedom is is this incredible ideology that we have, that we go, man, we live in this free nation, and it comes with its flaws, and that's the reality. And Jesus is saying, step into my freedom where there are no flaws. Here's the other thing. His freedom is not just like, you're not just posting bail until you await trial. No, this is freedom. This is complete pardon. This is complete forgiveness. This is complete uh, redemption, right? This is not about just simply finding a moment where you can say, okay, hey, I put up this money. Now I can wait until the judge comes. No, no, no. This is freedom. This is forgiveness. This is forgiveness. This is forgiveness. This is true 
freedom and he's saying, listen, you may have accepted forgiveness. You may have experienced the moment of salvation and yet you're still going, but I'm stuck. And this isn't the mindset or the heart of, no, I don't want to change. I want to stay in this. No, no, this is a repentant spirit and a repentant heart that says, I need freedom from this, right? And Jesus is saying, come on, I have it for you. I have freedom for you today. I have freedom for you today. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.